0: Let's praise God one more time for the worship team this morning. So good. We're so glad that you're here today. Let me introduce my good friend, Pastor Nick Brandon, who's our youth team leader. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning,
1: and I'm so excited to introduce my friend, Justin Stofa. He leads our Power Life Ministry. He is the Power Life Junior High Minister here at Hope, and we get to work in the office together all the time. But very rarely do we get to actually preach a message together. And so today's a special day for both of us.
0: We're really excited. Uh, we're in this uh, series where we're taking time to to look at some concerning trends, but reasons for hope. And we're so glad That all of you are here, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, wherever you're at today, we believe that God has led us here today and He's got a word for us today, even in this new sermon series.
1: And in this, this series, we're talking, well, if you're here last week, uh, we talked about how, oh wow, uh, the stats say that churches are just in massive decline, but we saw there were so many reasons for hope. And uh, so if you missed that, I encourage you to get on our YouTube channel, check that out. It's a great message from Pastor Mike and Pastor Ben. Uh, and we're going to talk today about how does God Bring His faithfulness from generation to generation. And maybe you feel like you've been skipped. Or maybe you feel like, is
0: my child going to experience that? We're going to
1: talk about that today.
0: We've been searching and turns out we found the answer to all the world's problems. And we're going to share it with you today. (laughs) So uh, yes, we will. It's it's, we want to point you to God's Word. Nick and I both work with students. And so we thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be fun if since we work with junior high and high school students. So we put pictures of Nick up from junior high uh, to start our message. Look at this. Look at that. All right.
1: What a handsome guy. Uh, Did you like the, like, I'm possessed by a demon face? Uh, Like, what is that face?
0: (laughs) I'm more curious about this instrument you're holding, Nick. So
1: that is a bass clarinet. Are there any other bass clarinetists? didn't think so wow. didn't think no, there was so somebody. wait there's one there's he one like okay half... uh, i miss where you are but come find me later we can be lame together It'll i thought be
0: you were a legend in middle school babe. you know there, that's babe. one word for it let's see him in high school though okay uh, yeah <clears throat> yeah I, dramatic i wish i wish i could have been there when the photographer's like now let's try one behind the head all right which mm-hmm. just
1: yep Yep. You look great. Well, look it's, you. it's not
0: fair just to put my pictures up. So I think we should get some of Justin here. Okay. Look at that. Okay. Don't be jealous because I was a fashion icon <laughs> in the late 90s. What, um,
1: what's this CD you have over here?
0: So CDs, kids, are things you had to buy at a store. <laughs> they're, and they're old. But I got on my 13th birthday. Now, that's what I call music volume three. That was a What's up? Uh, uh, this picture on the end is right before my first ever junior high dance. So you can see how that was going to go. Yes. Um, so that's yes. basically what I looked like the whole night, just kind of standing there. Uh, what about so in high school? Oh, good, there's more. And, uh, uh, okay, uh, th- that's your truck? Yeah, Old Blue. Old ready Blue. ready to drive to school. Look
1: at that smile. Can we, z- yeah, there
0: we okay. go. Let's I don't know if in. that was necessary, yep. um, so. Okay, that's. I was too close. Yeah, what do uh, you call
1: that? You called that your uh, Lloyd Christmas haircut? Yeah, like I said Dumb that last yep. night.
0: Uh, that was some, okay, you can put it down. Uh, <laughs> the good news is things change, okay? We don't always uh, live in the same world uh, that we lived in a while ago. And so t- today we want to talk about that, yes. how the world is changing, but our God is the same. And so what we're going to do, Nick and I have two things that we want to tell you. I'm going to start and then he's going to finish. So everybody say two things. Two things. The first thing is we're gonna reflect. So Nick's gonna have a seat, then he'll come back up and he's gonna tell you the second thing. So the first thing is reflect. Everybody say reflect. Have you ever uh, showed up at church, maybe this is you today and you say, you know what? I need a word from God today because the situation I find myself in, I'm not quite sure what's ahead. And so God, I'm looking for you to speak into my life. Here's some good news. If we reflect, if if you wanna know what God's about to say, All you got to do is look at what he's already said. And so we're going to do that today. If you're saying, you know what, I need God to do something. The way that my life is going, the situation I find myself in, I I need him to do a miracle. If you want to know what God's about to do in your life, all you got to do is look at what he's already done. Because God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so one of the ways that we can reflect is we can look at pictures and we can tell stories. And so I wanna start by showing you a few pictures. These are uh, pictures of of the four of my kids uh, who are here. And this is the time when they got baptized. They're actually sitting over here uh, today, three of the four, Jameson's in the nursery uh, for your sake. So he's not screaming uh, the whole time. And if they scream, that's great. Uh, But Ivory, Charlton, Willow and Jameson, they've all been baptized here because God is faithful. My wife Brenna and I, we, we want our kids to know their creator And so we we bring them to the baptismal font with faith, not about our faith, but about what God's doing. And so we have them baptized. And and we believe here at Hope and as the Lutheran denomination that, that God shows up no matter how old you are, even if you're a baby in the waters of baptism, because it's not about your faithfulness to him, it's about his faithfulness to you. And then as you grow older, we give you an opportunity to confirm your faith, to affirm your baptism. That's confirmation. What I get to lead every Wednesday night with junior high students is this process of saying, You were baptized, you received this gift of grace. What are you going to do with it? And so they, they say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I, I'm confirming my faith. And a picture's worth a thousand words, so I want to show you. Maybe you notice that each one of the kids is wearing the same baptismal gown. I want to tell you a story about this baptismal gown cuz I think it helps illustrate this point I'm trying to make. This is a woman named Sarah Breen. And in the year 1912, over 100 years ago, she made this baptismal gown. She had went to the general store and bought some lovely fabric that was going to be used for a blouse. But then she had a little boy named John, and she wanted him to know his creator. And so she took him faithfully to the waters of baptism. And he wore this beautiful gown that that must have taken time and energy. I mean, who makes gowns? Not everybody. Some of you have that gift. God bless you. But she spent time because she knew this was such a sacred and holy encounter that her child would have with God. And this picture is not her with John, but with one of her grandbabies. You see, it wasn't just her son, but then his kids started to be baptized in this gown. Maybe if you're a grandparent, you can relate and say... Oh, how blessed are my eyes to see what I get to see. Her grandchildren wearing this. Well, little John, he grew up to be Grandpa John. This is Sarah's little boy, John Breen. And now he's holding his granddaughter. Generational faith. And, and his little granddaughter, well, she grew up. And, and now she's holding, in fact, she's sitting right over there. That's my wife, Brenna, she, she was baptized as a baby. Now she's holding our little girl, this is Willow. Willow Breen is her middle name. And she's being baptized. And it's this, this beautiful illustration of how God's faithfulness continues for every generation. Not perfectly, but how he shows up. And this garment is fragile, sort of like our faith. It's over 100 years old. It's seen a lot in this world. A lot has happened in this world. Yet God is faithful. And so I show you these pictures not to say that, oh, if if grandma's faithful and she makes a gown and then maybe mom and dad will be and then maybe it's beautiful. But I want to point you to a deeper truth. I want to go to our scripture verse because knowing the creator brings value to the creation. This isn't our scripture verse. This is the point I want to make. Knowing the creator brings value to the creation. That's true for the gown. But more than teaching our kids about this gown, we want to teach them about this God. This God who loves us, who is faithful. Because when we know the creator, our heavenly father, all of a sudden all the creation around us, it's got a new value and a new purpose in our life. That's true for our family. It's true for the people that we work with, the people that we live around, the people that we don't quite understand, the dysfunctional people, the people that we misinterpret. You see, when we know the creator, it brings value to the creation no matter who it is. So I want to I dive into the scripture verse because it's not about our faithfulness to him. It's about his faithfulness Teach generation. Everybody say his faithfulness. his faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness. This is from Psalm 100. I love the Bible. The Bible is so beautifully written. The, the Psalms, if you know, most are written by David. You know, David and Goliath, King David. There's even sometimes a title like Psalm 101. The next one says a Psalm of David. This Psalm, Psalm 100 our text for today, it says a psalm of thanksgiving. We don't know if David wrote this, but we know whoever did write it would have known David, would have known God's story. You say, well, of course, if I was David, the little shepherd boy who killed the giant, I would write that he is faithful. It's God's faithfulness to us. That'd be an easy story to write. But here's why I love the Bible. Just three more words. Let me just highlight it here. To each generation, David saying, oh yeah, he's been faithful to me, But don't you forget, he's been faithful to each generation before me as well. And so today, as we reflect, I wanna recall these stories because I think you'll discover that God has been faithful to each generations in ways that are surprising. And also in ways that are right in line with how God operates. And so each generation, maybe you've heard of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God says, I'm gonna gonna make a nation through this family. And eventually, this family finds themselves in Egypt. They're they're enslaved. But God raises up a leader named Moses. And Moses faithfully follows God's lead, and he leads his people from slavery to freedom through the, the Red Sea. But did you know that Moses didn't get to lead his people into the promised land? You see, Moses died before they got to cross over the Jordan River. But because God is faithful, he raised up a new leader. Joshua. And it was Joshua who was leading God's people. And as they got to the edge of the Jordan River, they were about to enter to this promised land. And the first city that they were going to encounter was the city of Jericho. And so Joshua, being wise as their leader, he says, I'm going to send two spies into Jericho. And these spies entered the land to kind of see what's going on. And they encounter a woman named Rahab. Everybody say Rahab. 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 Now, because this is our family-friendly service... Rahab was a woman who was living outside of the boundaries and the morals that God had created for his children. Whether by choice or by a series of circumstances that were out of her control or by coercion. What we know is that she wasn't living the life that God had created her for. And so she encounters these spies and look at what she says to the two spies. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Word on the street, she's telling the spies, we know about your God. We know that he's about to take this land and give it to your people. And everybody's afraid. We heard about how he parted the Red Sea. I have a question for you this morning. Do you fear the Lord? When's the last time you stopped and and considered the awe and the wonder of the creator of the universe, the one who can part, the Red Sea, the one who can deliver, the one who is almighty. Rahab has an opportunity in this moment because she says, everybody's filled with fear. What will you do with your fear? Will you retreat? Or will you use that to move in a new direction? Rahab chooses faith. She says to these two spies, let me make a deal with you. I'll, I'll, I'll lie to the king of Jericho who knows you're here now. I'll tell him that you already left, that you're not around, but do me a favor, please rescue me. When you attack this place, save me, rescue me and my family. And so that's what happens. Maybe you know the story. The the Israelites start marching around Jericho, around the whole town, once a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day. And when the ram's horn is blown and they all shout, all the walls start falling down. And as those walls are falling down, Joshua looks to the two spies and he says, You keep your promise. You go and bring her out along with her whole family. I wonder what that view was like from where Rahab was. Because when those walls started falling, everybody else was filled with fear. But you know what she saw? Freedom. Because she was bound for destruction. But God is faithful. And he showed up. And here's the best part. This is just almost a throwaway line, but it's one of my favorite lines from Joshua 6. It says, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. As they're writing the story, they're like, and Rahab lives just down the street. She's in the neighborhood. You see, because that's what happened when when God rescues someone. You go from enemy to family. You're an outsider, but now you're an insider. You're part of the family. And that's what she does. She settles in. I can only imagine as she's part of the family, the stories that they start to tell, what was it like? What was it like when, when we started shouting, Rahab, when those walls came down, what was your view? And she tells him, oh, it's crazy. She, she had a family and she had a little son and that son's name was Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. If you're pregnant today and you don't have a name, maybe, maybe this is a sign from God, Boaz is available. She has this little boy and I got to imagine that she... She tells her son, this story, this is how God rescued me. And so we're going we're gonna to be part of this family now, Boaz. We're going to live among God's people. And just the same way that, that we were maybe overlooked, we were a foreigner, we were an enemy, we're going to be ones that provide. And that's the way that we're going to share our faith in this family. As moms and dads have these conversations with their children... Now I want to tell you another story. Everybody say Ruth. Ruth. From Rahab to Ruth. Different stories, same God. Different stories, same God. Ruth is also a foreigner, just like Rahab. She lives in a foreign land in in Moab. And and she encounters this man who she marries. In fact, there's this woman named Naomi. Naomi. And her husband, Elimelech, he and his wife and their two sons, they they travel to to Moab and then their sons get married and there's a bright future ahead of them. But then tragedy strikes. Naomi receives the news that her husband has died. And I just wanna pause for a minute because I think so often when we get telling stories, we can just say, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. But I just want to let us sink into this story a bit. Because we're human. We know what it's like. Maybe you think, I, there's how I, I anticipate, how I think the, the, the way things are going to go, and then there's what actually happens. You're on the receiving end of this news. And it gets worse for Naomi. Not only does she lose her husband, but then she loses both of her boys. I can't think of a worse set of news to strike any family. We don't have to imagine what that feels like. You you know the the news that you've received, that that there's the way you thought things were gonna go and then there's what happened. And so Naomi is is bitter and she says to her daughter-in-laws, there's no future with me. There's no future here. I can't provide for you. Go back to where you came from, to Moab. And so one of the daughter-in-laws, she returns, but, but Ruth, she says this, where you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And my question for you this morning is when tragedy hits, when life gets really challenging, when the worst of possible news arrives, which way are you gonna go? Are you gonna go back? Or are you gonna say, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm gonna go with God. That's the path that Ruth chooses. And so she decides to faithfully stay with Naomi and they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. It was harvest time. Ruth didn't plant these seeds, but she was about to get what she needs. So she was starting to gather up. Life was not good for two widows living in Bethlehem. In fact, they needed help. They needed a redeemer. And there was this thing, this process called a family redeemer that existed at the time. Where someone of God's children, of his tribe, he could redeem someone if they were in poverty. If they couldn't afford their property or if heaven forbid they'd been sold into slavery. They could be bought back for a price and be redeemed, reclaimed, restored. Even marry into the family and be provided a child. And as just as God would have it. Because he is faithful. There was a redeemer from Bethlehem, and that redeemer from Bethlehem, well, his name was Boaz, it was Rahab's little boy. He was this influential wealthy man who lived in Bethlehem and he said, oh, and I gotta imagine he thought about his mom when he saw Ruth. Oh, how God has been faithful to our family, I'll redeem her. And so he takes her into his family, they, he, she becomes his wife and they have a child. And all the people say, may this child be famous in Israel because what, a, what God has done. And so they have this child and, and they name him Obed. And maybe you're going, not that famous. I don't know, Obed, but, but it's generational faith. So Obed has a son and his son's name is Jesse. And Jesse has eight sons. And one day... The place where Jesse lives, a prophet of God shows up, a prophet named Samuel. And he says, I'm here because of God. God has sent me to your house, Jesse, to anoint the next king of Israel. And he says, okay, so, so he lines up his sons, oldest to youngest, and he starts with the oldest. And, and the Bible says these are striking young men, handsome and strong, beautiful eyes, kind of like this, Okay. Kidding. and he looks at the first son and he goes okay god is this it and he goes no it's not him he looks the part but but on the outside he may look the part but god sees the heart he says okay we'll go to the next son it's not him either the next one the next one. he gets through the first seven sons he goes it's not any of these do you have any other sons jesse goes well there's a little shepherd boy out in the field go get him So he brings his son named David. And he anoints him. He says, you're going to be the king of Israel. I want to make sure you don't miss this. This is from Matthew chapter 1. It says, from Rahab to Ruth to King David. This this is grandma's story. Grandma Ruth, grandma Rahab. This is the king's story. He's written all of these pieces together. Because God is faithful to every generation. So I want to take some time this morning just to, instead of just talking about it, to just create space for us to reflect. To reflect on Rahab's story to say, what is it that has been leading you down a path of destruction but God rescued you? What are the broken things in your life where there's so much pain? How has God redeemed you and brought you back into his family, into this royal family? God has anointed you. Who are the people in your life, your your family, your friends, the the people in your church family who have pointed you back to God's faithfulness? So this morning, we're just going to spend time and we're going to sing this song, Goodness of God, which we already sang earlier, but it's good to recall. You don't have to do anything. You can just sit there and remember and soak it in all my life. God has been faithful.
2: it's running after me and your goodness is running after. Me. it's running after me With my life laid down, surrender now i give you everything cause your goodness is it's running after me your goodness is running after me it's running after me with my life lay down i surrender now I give you everything it's your goodness
1: Let's praise God one more time for the faithfulness that He shows us, the ways that He shows up for us. And, and you know, uh, we've done this message multiple times. Um, and each time as I'm reflecting, uh, you know, I. I I remember the first time I was like, oh, I'm just so thankful for all the ministry memories that Justin and I get to share doing student ministry together. And, and this morning, my, my grandparents were sitting in the back, and I was just thinking about how my grandparents, they, they raised my, my mom in the faith, and, and, to, and they were Luther, good Lutherans, you know? And so uh, those good Lutherans, uh, well, they sent me to, to Power Life with Justin Now Leads, and that's where my life changed. And, and, and just now I'm sitting there with, with my wife, and, and I see... My son And I hear him singing these songs about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And uh, even just the other day, I'm going to brag on my son. And you're like, of course the pastor's kid does this. He has his moments too, okay? Uh, but this was such a precious moment. He was, I was just reflecting on this. He prayed for me and said, God, please help daddy with his sermon. And I'm like, oh man, that's just the best. It's just the best. And when we make the space to reflect... Oh, it's, it's, it's so, so good. And if we don't have that time, if we don't have that space, then there's so much about our faith that we're going to miss. There's so much about church that isn't going to be joyful. There's so much about worship that isn't going to be joyful. It's important that we have that space to, one, reflect. And here's the second thing. If you want to experience the goodness of God, you got to reflect. Okay, it's not reflect like you're thinking about how good God is and stuff, and then after that you think about how you thought about it. That sounds like a weird thing that you do when you go to seminary, okay? Like if you're weird like me, maybe you'd write a paper on something like that. But what a normal person should do, okay, is you reflect, but then you also reflect outwardly to others. You reflect God's faithfulness to you, through you, to the world. See, you're like the moon. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're like the moon. It's true, you're like the moon. See, the moon, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite like the sun. The sun is made of gas. The moon is a rock, okay? The sun has all the power. The moon is just floating around. It's floating around, revolving around our planet. And this rock, it's got all these rough edges. It, it looks round to us, but like, you know, like if you were actually there, you'd be like, wow, this is really rough. There's lots of craters and cracks and crevices and imperfections But the moon receives the light of the sun at night and the moon then reflects that light to earth so that we can see in the night. You're like the moon. It's kind of nice to take the pressure off a little bit and it's like, wow, okay. I don't have to be the sun. The son of God is the sun. But here's the thing is that Christians aren't exactly famous for this right now. Did you know that that 30% of Americans, according to multiple surveys, 30% of Americans, they haven't been seeing the moon reflecting light very well, and that's dramatically impacted how they feel about faith. 30% of Americans, they identify as religiously unaffiliated. What's that mean? That survey talk for, they are either atheist, agnostic, or the largest category, the largest growing category uh, in the last uh, 10, 15 years is the nuns. That's not the Catholic nuns, okay? That's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. I don't have a box. I honestly, I look at this light that everyone says is so great, and I just don't, I don't see it. I I just don't see what everybody else does. It doesn't seem that important. Did you know for Generation Z, which is, that's going to be anyone that's, you know, like in junior high, high school, uh, college age right now, one in three, one in three are religiously unaffiliated. Many of them grew up in church. And, and for them, they see like this eclipse, okay? There's, there's something that's in the way of the light, and they're like, oh, it's, it's not that bright. Not that interested. You know, maybe they're a Rahab, and, and they're, they're outside of the, the moral whatever, but what they get from religious people is just judgment, or maybe they're not a Rahab, they're they're a Ruth and and they feel unredeemable and life just didn't go the way. And they're like, where was God in the middle of that? And they're like, look at this eclipse. And they're like, okay, whatever. See, I don't think that this is actually a problem with God. I don't think that God is the one that, that when people look at what Christianity is all about and then they're like, oh, it just doesn't quite seem like it's for me when this generation, this, this upcoming generation looks at Christianity and says, one in three of them say, ah, I just don't think it's really for me, I, ha- I think it has nothing to do with Jesus. I think it has everything to do, not with Christ, but with Christians. And this isn't new. This is, this is something that's been happening for a long time. See, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to, to the Christians in Rome almost 2,000 years ago. And he was even quoting from an Old Testament passage that was written almost 700 and some years before that. And it said, no wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles, which is those that are outside of the family of God, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Ouch. No wonder that they're not interested in church or they're not interested in Jesus because there's an eclipse in the way. I mean, if the only thing they see when it comes to Christianity is politics, well, no wonder. If the only thing that they see is arguments, no wonder. If the only thing they see is someone shaming them and saying, well, you should be faithful and thankful to God. Why aren't you thankful to God? Well, maybe it's because there hasn't been a Christian that's that's reflected what they've reflected on to somebody else. Maybe it's because the only thing that they're getting from the body of Christ is not the light of Christ. Maybe it's because there, there's something in the way. If, if that's you or someone that you know and that you love, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, wish, I wish that it wasn't that way. And, and you know, we, we say things like this all the time. And we have to because it's true. We're an imperfect church. It's not an excuse. I mean, sometimes we say, and this is true too. So there's two sides to this. One side is to say, we're not a perfect church and therefore you're just gonna have imperfections. So, I mean, if you join the church too, you're gonna make it even more imperfect. So welcome to the club. So, so that's one half of it. And that's true. Here's the other half of it is that whenever you get a group of, I mean, think about your own family, who you love, hopefully. You put them in a room. You ever had a fight in your family? Oh, yeah. See, in this church, um, it's okay if you drove here and you had a very not Christian drive to church. You know, the the ones where you're like hitting people in the back, quiet down. Uh, You know, it's not just the pastor's van, okay? It's uh, it's lots of vans. And then you walk in the door and you're like, praise Jesus, how is everyone? (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay. In this church... You can smile. You don't have to. You don't have to bleed all over the floor and say the van ride was very unchristian, Pastor. You know, like you don't have to do that. But you can be real. See, I think the real problem is that we get in the way when we don't have enough humility to say we're imperfect, and it's worth working on it. So let me point you to the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. It's not because we are faithful to him, it's because he is faithful to us. And our faithfulness to him is a result, a response to his consistent faithfulness to us, even though we're messed up, even though that we're broken, even though we have all sorts of issues, even though we stink like sheep. Here, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that, hey, if you want to pass the faith on generation to generation, if you wanna reflect and then actually reflect, Here's something that can help. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. You don't have to be the son. See, he made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Turn to your neighbor right now and and say, Bah! You guys had a lot of fun with that. Alright. <laughs> so you're a sheep of his pasture. And you know what's great? When you're a sheep, you don't have to be the shepherd. And if you try to be the shepherd, it's probably not gonna go well. In fact, if you try to be the shepherd, it, it's probably gonna get in the way and there's gonna be some other sheep that get lost. And maybe that's you. Someone got in the way. Someone. Who wore the Christian name, but their character reflected nothing of the character of Christ. For that, I'm sorry. I'm going to point you today to where the light actually comes from. See, you're a sheep of his pasture. When, when sheep are being herded by the shepherd, well, Jesus' invitation is to follow him. And when, when one sheep goes, the other sheep see the other sheep, and they start going, and, and they all go together. So how, does, how do then do we reflect and then reflect, especially to this next generation where one in three are just like, ah, this isn't for me. Here's some key ingredients that I think that we all can, can look at our own lives and say, you know, maybe it would have been different for me if I had that. Or, you know, uh, I, I haven't really given that a serious thought for a, quite a while, and maybe that's why things are feeling a little off. Or maybe that's why my son is struggling to actually get out of bed. You know know that, I mean, some of you, you're like, you have a teenager, um, but no one here knows it because they, like, refuse to get out of bed, okay? Again, you can come, and we can know about that teenager. It's okay. That just means they're a teenager. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's love, it's for people that aren't interested, too. And so we don't shame them into feeling that. What we do is we create opportunities for them to experience the light for themselves. We reflect and then we reflect. So here's some key ingredients. Weekly worship. You're already here. So you you get it. You got it. Right? Like weekly worship. This is what we're made for. This is not something that's like, well, that is a lovely extracurricular activity. (laughs) Not according to your creator. And when you know the creator, you value the creation. And you value yourself more. You value your family more. You value God more when you come and you worship weekly. Now I know as a parent, I want to talk to the parents for a little bit. Um, As a parent, there's a lot of battles that you have to pick, especially if you have a junior high or high school student. A lot of battles that you have to pick in raising a child. And if you are one of those parents that you're like, you see, uh, maybe you have a high school student and they, they it's junior year, because junior year is tough and they have a tough semester and they are like, oh, you know, I, I, just, I don't think I'm gonna get to play varsity. So I think I wanna take a break from football so I can focus on my grades. And you know, they're not gonna focus on their grades. They're just trying to quit, right? And so what do you do as a parent? You say, well, you've committed to your team. You know, like, you know, the parent voice where you put your hands on your hips? Well, you know that one? You know what I'm talking about? Every teenager just smiled and nodded, and all the adults were like, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, this is generational gaps, people, okay? Uh, so when that happens, parents, uh, when you say, hey, you need to keep your commitment to your show choir or to, to football or, or to whatever, I, I, I just want to make sure, if you want to reflect and reflect, that you're also helping them keep their commitments to God. First and foremost, because as great as football is, As great as show choir is, as great as all these things are, in fact, keep them in there. That's one of the ways that they can reflect God's light and his love. But if they don't have time to reflect weekly, they'll have a hard time reflecting at show choir. And this is what lasts. So if you're going to say, no, you need to keep your commitments here. I hope that you'll do the same thing for their faith. I hope you'll do the same thing for once they've completed confirmation. So here's a, a, a reality in the Lutheran church, okay? If you, maybe this is you, you grew up this way, or, or maybe this is someone in your family, and, and so you went through confirmation, you did, you did the whole thing, and you, maybe you read a faith statement and, and all that, and it, and it was wonderful, and you had cake at the end. It was great. It was great. And then... You or someone in your family is like, I'm just not that interested anymore. I got I got grades to focus on. I got football to focus on and and all these other things I got to do. And and so not that interested anymore. You know what that makes you? A normal Lutheran. Do you know how many people disappear after Confirmation. And are not involved in the weekend worship, in weekend worship or in high school ministry or, or whatever. That's a lot of people. And yes, that happens at Hope. But we're seeing a cause for hope. Trending upwards in so many great ways. See, that might make you a normal Lutheran. That doesn't mean it's good for you. Doesn't mean it's healthy for you doesn't mean it's it's healthy for the thing that's going to last most. And and I just want to encourage you, if that's you, like, you are not going to get a, well, where have you been? Okay. That's not how this church rolls. Okay. But I do want to challenge you. In fact, if you're a teenager here and you've kind of disappeared from from going to Power Life or Ignition, or maybe you went off to college and you're like, oh yeah, there's that Kairos thing where like 1,200 Kairos students showed up uh, a week or two ago, I bet... I bet that number two is a big one for you because if you're like, I don't want to go, I bet it has nothing to do with Jesus, does it? Maybe you're like, no, I have doubts. And if you do, great. That's a great place. Church is a great place to check out your doubts. Ask your questions. But I bet it's because you don't have anyone that you know and like there and you know they like you. And so maybe your mom makes you go and so you show up to the first night and and instead of actually like making a friend or two that you would wanna hang out with outside of time at church, you sit there in the corner on your phone and you just like, you find where your actual friends, your current friends are, right? And no wonder, right? Because it's intimidating. And that's a very generational thing. And and I just wanna challenge you. If you can find faith-focused friendships, Friends that that actually invest in your relationship with God and you invest in theirs? I bet you're gonna want to be in church every single week. Even if you have doubts, even if you have questions, even if you think it's boring, whatever those preacher guys are talking about. When your friends are there, that changes it, doesn't it? Don't have friends there? You know what I tell parents? I say, hey, if they wanna they wanna stop doing this and start start doing something else that's great i totally get it but they haven't really actually tried it until they've made two friends that they want to hang out with outside of it if you have two friends at church that you want to hang out with outside of church at that point a teenager's tried church because church isn't just do i sit in a program church is being a part of a community Church is so much more. There's faith-focused friendships, faithful role models. Do you know studies say that teenagers need five adults that they respect, who love Jesus, for them to have a faith that they want to own for themselves. This is why volunteers really, really matter. I'm gonna pick on the guys. I'm sorry, I'm I'm just like, it's 11 o'clock. So just everything that's in there, I'm just letting it all out, okay? Uh, So I'm gonna pick on the guys. Fellas, every single year in this church, It is like pulling teeth to find men that are willing to say, you know what? I needed someone who's like the moon, imperfect, full of craters and crevices, and and has all all their issues too, but I'm willing to imperfectly just be present and reflect to these these young men. I'm willing to, to be one of these guys. And I get it, guys, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna like sit there and, and say, I'm scared. Like you're not gonna do that, but let's just get it real. Teenagers can be scary to adults. Can I get an amen? Okay, teenagers can be scary. Why? Because that stage of life was scary for us too. And you know how judgy they are because you were that judgy. But what would have happened in your world if someone like you decided, okay, okay, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to do this right. They are going to judge me, but I'm going to be there for them. Oh, it, it's life-changing. I think, I think of, of my power life leader, Fizz. Fizz died a few years ago. Fizz was, yeah, he's such a character. He... His real name isn't Fizz, but that's what we called him. We called him Fizz, Fizz Robinson. And, and he, he passed away a few years ago. He had a massive heart attack. And, and I went to the funeral. I, I saw many of my Power Life boys there. Same, same guys. Because he wasn't perfect, but he was a faithful role model. And it was pretty cool that he went on tour with Michael Jackson. He like lifted Michael Jackson up from the stage so that Michael Jackson like was coming out of stage like he was the guy underneath, that's so cool, you'll never forget that. Right? You're like, oh I'm not that cool. Perfect. Be yourself. Because that's what they actually need. Because they're trying to find out who their real self is too. See, if you have someone who's 16 years old in your house and they don't know how they're gonna use their gifts to serve in church, here's the sad news. You can probably expect them to not be interested in church. But if they find their reason to serve and they have their friends, you're not gonna be able to keep them away. Because they were made, not because of programs, not because of Power Life and Ignition and Kairos and Revive and all these things for uh, for this generation that exist at this church. It's because of what's at the center of these programs. When they find a way to contribute, when they find ongoing support for, uh, you know, there's generational gaps on things like mental health. It's like, oh, Generation Z, that's all they can talk about is mental health and anxiety. That's because they're stronger than other generations. I'm just going to say it. Some of you wanted to clap. You can do that. I don't care. I'm just going to say it. We are too scared to admit there's something wrong. And so we don't address it. And we just pass, just like we pass, want to pass the faith on. Did you know we pass on our problems from generation to generation too? You ever had that moment? Where you're like, oh no, I am my dad. That's exactly what that is. And this generation is willing to actually get some support. I think that's stronger than my generation. I think that's stronger than the generations before. There's other advantages that other generations have, and we need to teach them to this generation too. We need each other. That's why we're the church. And so we need these ingredients. These are just five. And maybe you're here, you're like, oh, I never had that, or I wish I had that and my faith journey. It would have been different. Maybe it would have. But be careful here, don't don't make it all about a program or all about, I just had all the ingredients the right way. No one has the perfect setup. But what we do have is the thing that matters most, the cross of Jesus Christ. At the center of it all. Here's a picture of, of Justin uh, taking a selfie with, I think that's That might be three hundred seventh graders and then there's the 6th grade service and the 8th grade service as well. There's, There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of junior hires that come every single Wednesday. And if you have a junior high in your life and they're not signed up for Power Life, I'm telling you my life changed in Power Life years ago. And God has been faithful generation to generation. And if you don't have a guy like Justin in your junior hires life, you're crazy, okay? If you, don't have a guy, if you don't have a guy like Justin or the leaders that we see there every week pouring into small groups, or if you're like, maybe I should do that, but I don't feel good enough, you, that's what everyone feels before they do it. And then they realize, oh, God's actually building my faith through these weird, awkward junior hires, or through these scary high schoolers. Uh, and, and so it goes, goes on generation to generation. Junior high, high school, and Ignition, that's where I get to hang out every week. And, and Kairos, did you know there was 1,200 college students that showed up at Iowa State's Campanile for the, the Kairos at the Campanile? It's incredible. How, how many college students are seeking? They're not seeking a program. They're seeking the true light, Jesus Christ. Young adults showed up in droves. Revive in the city at Cal's Commons in downtown Des Moines. And they saw the weather. They knew it was going to rain. Do you know why they came? Not because of the weather, not because it was comfortable. They came because they knew if they come, they're going to get this. They're going to get the cross. They're going to experience the reflection. They get to reflect so they can reflect. And so we see God breaking trends here around hope. And it's not because of a program or a person, or a leader in the program. Those are just sheep. It's because the light doesn't come from us. It comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the hope. This generation and every generation to come, and so here, here's a, a way to, to think about it. I, I gotta grab a few things here, and so I, I found this this mirror. Okay, you're like a mirror. Turn to your neighbor and say, "You're like a mirror." Okay, so and I we're gonna change the lighting in here just a little bit, and so uh, so you know. Oops, sorry in the back. I totally just blinded you. Okay, so you can see. Okay, there it is on the, on the on the uh, ceiling there, and then I'm just gonna. Woo, Okay. Raise your hand if you were touched by the light. There was quite a few of you. Okay. I got, I got some of you. All right. I'm going to try not to blind anybody else. So let me, let me turn this off. Oh, I stepped on this earlier. So you can see that's what my footprint looks like. So there you go. Um, So, so that's, that's one thing. And that's great. Wow. We can reflect God's light. It's not about our power. It's the power of Jesus. But here's the thing. It's not supposed to just be some spiritual superstars and, and things like that. Really, The church of Jesus Christ, it's much more like a disco ball. This ball would be terrible if you were going to play basketball. But if you want to throw a party, it can change the environment. And it's covered in mirrors. And as the light of God reflects off of us to the world, raise your hand if you've been touched by this light. That's all of us. And it keeps moving and it keeps going. This is what it looks like. This is what the church is meant to be. This this is who we truly are. We are not meant to just reflect to ourselves and like, wow, I get some spiritual fuzzies every now and again. We were designed to reflect the light and love of Jesus. And so my question for you is, where are you reflecting it? When's the last time you received it? because you're one of the mirrors on on the disco ball of this church. You know what I mean? That's you. And without you, the the light doesn't shine the way that it's supposed to. Some of you are like, I'm not cool enough. I'm too busy to volunteer, especially to invest in, in another generation. Okay. Well, where are you reflecting your light? See, Jesus he even gave us a way to do this, to reflect so we can reflect, to receive his grace. Because we're not perfect little mirrors, we're broken mirrors, amen? This is an imperfect church, amen? And every single person, well, the reason why we receive the light is because we need put back together. We need help. We need grace. And so Jesus, he, he says on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. and said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. Reflect. Think back on the fact that I gave my body for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in the remembrance of me, he says. After the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the cup poured out in my blood. It's for you and it's for all people For the forgiveness of sins Do this in remembrance of me Reflect And so as the ushers and the communion servers move into place I I just want to give a little instruction For what's going to happen with our last time of reflection Before we go out and reflect to the world In a moment the ushers will dismiss you row by row And you can come down You'll receive a piece of bread into your hands And you can eat that And then there'll be uh, in a tray There'll be some dark colored wine Or light colored grape juice you can select whatever's good for you. And then there's a allergy-free station this way, if, if that's something that you need. But you might be wondering, hey, I, I only saw the eclipse. I still have lots of questions and stuff, but I really wanna see the light. I really wanna experience where the real power comes from, the real grace, the real love, the stuff that, that's supposed to be reflected. And I want to be a part of the solution to the problem that exists in American spirituality rather than just blaming the problem and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Guess what? If you want Jesus, he wants you. His grace is for you. His love is for you. His forgiveness is for you. And so you can come in faith, trusting in his faithfulness to you. And so let us pray our table grace. The Lord's prayer. These words will be on the screen. Our Father, all is ready, come and receive the goodness and faithfulness of God.